down and he kind of slides it under the bed with his foot when Jesus walks in the room. Uh, but Jesus continues to be with him and be present to him and to bless him. But I want to read you towards the end of the book uh, when Jesus confronts him about uh, this issue in his life, because I think it's a perfect it will be a perfect transition into the gospel reading t- uh, today. So uh, he, he, you can see the box here. Um, It says, that night as I climbed into my bed, Jesus sat down on the edge of his bed. I don't think I can stay in this room, he said. It smelled so awful last night that I couldn't sleep. I think it's coming from the closet. Maybe it's my sneakers, I said. It's not sneakers, Jesus said. I don't mind the smell of sneakers at all. It's time to tackle your closet. But it's my closet. I tried not to yell. Those are my things. I like them just the way they are. If you want me to live with you, Jesus said, we will have to get rid of that stink. Slowly, I brought out the wooden box. Together, we opened the lid. I wished no one had to see what was inside. Two shiny wings, I pulled off a live butterfly. A small car I took from Jake's house two years ago. And a scribbled note in dark, angry letters. I hate you, Jake. It said, Jesus looked a long time at all the things in my box. His face was sad, but in a funny way, he looked like he loved me. I'm sorry, I said. I forgive you, Jesus answered, and he held me with a huge hug. We will give the car back to Jake, Jesus said, but you must let me keep the box. That's all right, I said. I don't want it anymore. And then Jesus continues to live with the boy and protect him and, and, and it continues to enable him to experience his presence. Um, Jesus, in his great love for us, insists on removing anything from our lives that has a hold on our hearts that could hinder us from following him with total abandon. Because he desires pure fellowship with us, unreserved Abandon. We see this today in the gospel reading. So if you would like to look with me at the gospel of Mark chapter 10, it's often referred to as the rich young ruler. Uh, It's just a rich man, according to uh, Mark. But we're going to work through a few verses of this this morning. I've titled my sermon today, The Surgeon's Gentle Hand. And I think you'll begin to see uh, the metaphor come to life as we move into this text. It says that Jesus started on his way and a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the man's um, sincerity is very clear all throughout the passage. He's not one of the uh, teachers of the law who's trying to uh, deceive Jesus or trick him up and get him to say something wrong or to justify himself. The man is very sincere, but as we'll see, sincerity isn't everything. Many people sincerely want heaven, but deep down inside, they aren't willing to give up the world. So we move on in the passage and he has a little back and forth with Jesus. And then Jesus gives him, uh, says to him, he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know, the commandments and Jesus lists, lists a sampling of the commandments, not all of them. Did you notice that? He lists a sampling of them, and what I think is uh, noticeable about that is that he lists commandments that are very objective and black and white. You either have obeyed them or you haven't. Notice one commandment that he doesn't list 
to the man. Sometimes what Jesus is not saying is what he is trying to teach the person who he is encountering. He doesn't list the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Because that commandment, it requires a deep searching of heart, doesn't it? To discover if I have gods that I'm putting before the Lord God, I have to do some deep heart searching. And Jesus is going to show the man that this is where the problem lies with his, in, his hindrance to entering the kingdom of heaven. This is what's happening under the surface of a rather obedient and pious heart. So we, we move on and we read that uh, Jesus, the, the rich man says, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Again, he's very sincere. He's not lying. He's not, uh, the, the, the text is not portraying him as putting on some kind of uh, false display of piety for Jesus. It's actually very sincere and honorable. It's a sincere and honorable thing to keep the commandments of God. Yes? Yes, Father Cameron, it is a very sincere and honorable thing. It's not a trick question. It's an honorable thing to do. So what's the issue? What is the issue with this guy? Why doesn't Jesus say, great, now come follow me. You're obedient to the commands of God, so now come and follow me. You can be one of my disciples. See, most of us can recite a list of things that we do for God, but it's far more difficult to face the reality that there may be things that have a hold on our hearts that are keeping us from a real full surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know, it hurts me too. The surgeon's gentle hand. See, Jesus will not share our hearts with any other gods. He won't share your heart with wealth. He won't share your heart with lust. He won't share your heart with bitterness against people that you don't care for. He won't share your heart with gossip. He won't share your heart with other maybe good things that you are wrongfully attached to. Seemingly good things. Now, this rich man... Um, would have been seen by Jews, including Jesus' disciples, as we'll see in their response. Uh, They're flabbergasted by how Jesus talks to the man. They would have seen prosperity as a sign of God's blessing. It was seen as a good thing. Okay, so what's the issue? Let's move on and read. Verse uh, 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Only Mark includes this detail. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I'll tell this story, and only Mark includes this detail. Mark saw something going on in this dynamic between Jesus and this man. Now, the word uh, for looked in this passage, it means it, 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 um, it implies a searching look, that Jesus is really gazing into him. And he has an approving response. It says that he loves him. It actually, the, the, what Jesus finds when he looks at this man stirs affection in his heart for him. So Jesus is actually, he's not trying to make things difficult or trying to push this man away. He's for him. That's, Mark is trying to make that very clear to us. So Jesus says this to him, one thing you lack. Oh. <laughs> it's just like Jesus, isn't it? One thing you lack. Now, have you, I, I was thinking about this passage and I had my sermon written and then yesterday I was revisiting it and I thought, Lord, why did you say there's one thing you lack? Why doesn't he say there's one more thing you need to do? Jesus is very intentional with his words. He never says anything by accident. 
He, he could have said, there's one more thing you need to do. You need to uh, be better about serving the poor, then come and follow me. Why does he say there's one thing you lack? This is a man who keeps the commandments. And he says, there's one thing you lack. This man lacks freedom from his attachment to worldly comfort. Jesus sees that in the depths of his heart, that he lacks the freedom to be completely and utterly dependent on and satisfied in Jesus. This is where Jesus gets surgical with us. He's gentle, he's kind, he's patient with us. But sometimes there are things embedded deep in our life, in our rhythms, in our habits, in our attitudes, in our words, in how we behave in certain circles that we know is like that stinky box that we keep pushing under the closet when Jesus is around. And Jesus in his love, think about this, Jesus looking at you and loving you. And if he said to you or to me, one thing you lack, what would he be addressing? That's what I want us to think about this morning. If he said one thing you lack, and he began to get that deeper thing, not all of your wonderful deeds of service and your good church attendance and all of those things, he, he finds that to be a most commendable thing. But he wants into the deeper recesses of our hearts. Because for him to have total lordship over our lives, which is the only way that we can have relationship with him, is we have to allow him into that inner closet, no matter what is in that box that is hiding. You see, Jesus, he deals gently. He's like a surgeon of old before, you know, anesthesia was around, who looks at his, his patient. You ever seen an old movie where they're, they've got to perform? I remember one, the woman had breast cancer, and it was like back in the 1800s, and he gives her the leather belt to bite on. And, but the surgeon looks at her with compassion, you know, and he says, I'm going to be as gentle and as precise as possible. There is going to be pain, but we've got to get you whole. The Lord is calling. He's calling us today. He has a message for us. <clears throat> yes, Lord. Yes, I, I will tell them that they lack uh, a silent feature on their phone. Yes, <clears throat> I will remind them. So, yes, if you would turn your uh, phones on silent today, that would be good. I know. We all forget to sometimes. It's okay. Grace abounds. Jesus is like a surgeon who looks on you with compassion. You can feel his desire. Though you might fear his knife and the pain that it will bring, you can feel his desire, his compassionate desire to make you whole. That is how Jesus deals with us. Be it sin or attitude or habit that keeps us from total abandonment to following him, obeying him, and serving him with all of us. He deals gently. You see, when Jesus calls us to forsake things for him, he's acting on our behalf, not against us. Okay. If you had to go in for a surgery that was going to save you from death and make you whole, you wouldn't say to the surgeon, why did you do that? He would say, thank you, doctor. That was really hard to go through, but I'm whole. That's the surrender the Lord is calling us to today. To say, thank you, Lord. I need you to make me whole. You see, whatever hinders our wholehearted surrender to Jesus does so by its power over our affections. Everybody say affections. Okay? 
our, our inclination towards certain things that give us satisfaction and stir up love and desire in our hearts. And so the problem here is not a matter of mustering up more willpower. It's about what we've become fascinated with. And it's about our lack of fascination for the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Overcoming stumbling blocks in our life that hinder us from following Jesus. There's no way we're going to conquer that by just going, oh, I'm just going to try harder today and I'm going to do it. We need to become more fascinated with the Son of God. You see, there was a book written in the 18th century or the 19th century by a man named Thomas Chalmers. And get this is a great 19th century title. The title of the book was the it was a book about following Jesus and it was called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Okay, do you understand the title? I'm not even going to quote the book. I just wanted to mention the title because I love the idea there. It's that a new and greater affection for something that's more satisfying is the only way to expel a lesser God from our hearts. So to be able to part ways with the sin and the attitudes and the things that hinder us from being fully devoted to Jesus, we actually have to develop a new and greater affection for Jesus. To see how good he is, to see how inviting he is, to see what he gave, which is everything so that we could give everything to follow him. Our sin and our worldly attachments, they have to be broken by a more compelling joy. Not by a greater sense of guilt and shame, but by a more compelling joy, something that is more attractive than these, to these little things that we play with. C.S. Lewis said, we're like children who, could, who, who, who are just can insist on playing in the mud who have been offered a vacation on a cruise ship. And Jesus sees that. He sees our sin like that and our, our attachment to worldly things in that way. So here's a little bit of a metaphor to think about what, what this is like. So if you were in a science lab and there was a glass beaker and you were given the assignment to remove all of the oxygen from that glass beaker, you could find some kind of scientific high-powered vacuum that would remove the oxygen or you could take a cup of water and pour it into the beaker. You could fill it up with something else. We need to be filled up. There's places in the deep recesses of our heart that need to be filled up with the living water of God's Spirit that gives us a deeper love and adoration for Jesus. Jesus loves us too much to allow us to continue on a path where we hold little boxes in our closets. And some of us are thinking today, this morning, about what those are. That's the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's the grace of Jesus speaking to us. It could be fear. It could be fear of intimacy with Jesus. It could be fear of what I'll, how I'll be perceived if I'm one of those type of people. It could be some secret habit or sin. It could be some kind of attitude that has been lodged in my heart against someone or a group of people or whatever. It could be resistance to a call that I know is on my life that I just am not yet ready to respond to. It could be any of those things. But Jesus loves us too much to allow us to continue to ignore it. So we get stories like this in the Gospels that remind us that we too are like the rich man. Ours may not be wealth that's hindering us from following him. It could be something entirely different. 
But Jesus wants to offer us the grace to remove whatever it is for the sake of deeper communion with him. There's a clue to the deep meaning of the passage. Um, we could go on. There's so much richness in the rest of the passage, but I'm not going to go on and, and get too much into the depths of how it's difficult for the rich to in, enter the kingdom of God. But I, I want to show you a clue to the deep meaning of the passage. So back up all the way to the very beginning of the passage. There's sometimes little details that the authors of the gospel include that are easy to miss, but they're being very intentional. It says this, as Jesus started on his way. Do you know where he's going? Do you know where Jesus is going? Mark is making a geographical point. He continues to tell us he was in Capernaum. Then he went through Galilee. As he goes on his way, he has set his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross that he knows awaits him. And it's within that context that we have to understand the call to abandon everything that keeps us from being surrendered to him. You see, Jesus can call us to part with everything, all worldly comfort and success, every secret sin, every cherished idol, because he himself walked free of that and he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem and he was not going to let anything or anyone hinder him from dying for you. And so he's the only one who has the authority and the honor and the majesty and the glory and the right to demand everything from you and from me. It's a difficult call to answer. And you see the rich man's response, tragic. Encountering love embodied. Trying to purge his heart of an attachment that keeps him from following Jesus. And his head lowers and he turns and he walks away. And so in a sense, it's a picture of the Christian life, although we are following Jesus and we are saved and we are forgiven and we are redeemed. We have made that commitment, but it's also, there's also a lesson here for us that when Jesus puts his finger on things in our lives and he says, this is keeping you from walking in the fullness and the power of my spirit. It's keeping you from being effective for ministry. It's keeping you from being pure like I call you to be. We have to listen to his voice and let his surgical gentle hand remove it from our life now the question is how do we do that because i said as i said willpower only goes so far human willpower only goes so far so how do we respond to this kind of love the good news is this jesus is looking at us with at you with love today with love in his eyes, with affection in his heart. And he's speaking. He's speaking to some of us this morning. But the good news is this, is the transformation of heart that you and I need is not so much a matter of personal willpower, but of trusting the God who desires to help us. You see, faith, it's not an inner subjective state of feeling compelled to believe something. Faith is trusting 
that God is true to his word and he is for us, not against us, that he wants to help us through every trial in our life. He wants to help us get free of every bondage in our life. That's faith. It's trusting God's faithfulness. And God has proved his faithfulness to all of us when he sent his son to die for us on the cross. And Paul says in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? So even in in, in our sin and in in our brokenness and in our incompleteness, the accusations of the enemy cannot stand against us anymore because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But that advocate also advocates that we would live holy and pure lives. And he'll do anything to remove that dross from us. And so he calls us to surrender. He calls us. To allow him to do the deep work that he needs to do in us as an act of love. You see, Jesus, most of us don't realize how wholeheartedly Jesus desires intimacy with us. And when he sees those little things in our life that have become, they could just be seemingly innocent worldly distractions. And when he sees that they come to get an unhealthy grip on our heart, he says, You're missing out on so much that I have for you. You're missing out on the joy of deeper intimacy with you. You're missing out on bearing the fruit for my kingdom that I have planned for you to bear. And so today, we ask the Lord, what is my box? And how can I surrender, Lord, my heart to allow you to hand it over and give it to you. What I want to do is just have a few uh, minutes of opportunity. Jay, if you could play that song that we talked about, the uh, I Surrender song. There's a song called I Surrender that the Lord kept bringing to mind this week as I read this passage because I think that's what the passage is ultimately about, right? It's about letting Jesus remove things from us so that he can have all of us because he wants nothing less. And so what that requires of us is surrender, And maybe there's some things that some of us are dealing with in our hearts that have been sort of, we've been resisting, kind of ignoring uh, the voice of the Lord. I did that for 10 years of my Christian life with alcohol. I found all kinds of ways of justifying drinking a little bit here and there and here and there, and then it became more, a little bit more here and more, more and there. And then the Lord spoke very clearly and said, this is your box. This is the box in the room and it stinks and it's getting stinkier and stinkier and I had to give it to him and I'm telling you (laughs) the six months to a year after that were the greatest times of intimacy that I've ever had with the Lord feeling his joy his love wash over me but I had to let him do the surgery first. So what I'd like to do today is just give us all an opportunity to just whatever it is that we know that we need to surrender. If you're feeling that call, the spirit is stirring in your heart just to be able to come forward, have a few minutes with the Lord at the altar. I'm not going to come by and pray for people today. Jay's going to play this song. We're just going to kind of get into that place of worship and also listening. And so just listening and asking the Lord, Lord, show me what it is. And if you'd like to come up and just kind of as a gesture of handing that over to him, giving him that box, whatever it is, I invite you to come up to the altar while we worship and pray. Amen.